Hi, I'm David Ross, and welcome to episode 16 of the Sun's Israel's War on Terror podcast. There are increasing calls for the complete dissolution of the United Nations Relief and Works Agency for Palestine refugees. The pressure on UNRWA is growing following a string of allegations. At least 12 of its employees are accused of participating in the attacks of October 7, 2023. Hundreds more are alleged to have links with terrorist groups, and thousands are reported to have family ties with people in terror organisations. The agency has historically received billions of dollars in aid, but many countries have frozen their donations. Former Israeli politician and co-author of The War of Return, Dr. Enat Wilf, is a world-renowned expert on the Middle East and one of the leading critics of UNRWA. She says it's not fit for purpose and must now be shut down. We need to separate the specific instances and the broader accusations. What Israel had, and this I'm not involved with, are specific uh, intelligence, data information about employees of UNRWA who were who participated in the October 7th massacre, either as killers, either as hostage takers, and those are specific instances. Then there's a much greater group of people who are either members of Hamas, of its uh, infrastructure, of the entire organization, or their immediate family are members of it, which essentially uh, means that one person uh, maintains the facade of respectability and a fellow family member uh, joins Hamas. Uh, that's a much larger group. I think we're talking here in the thousands. But these are still the level of specific uh, charges. And I think Israel shared that intelligence with the countries that donate to UNRWA. And then there's, of course, the far bigger charge that is independent of any specific issues. And that is the fact that UNRWA, essentially for the last 75 years, has been devoted to one thing and one thing only, which is to ensure that the war of 1948 never ends, that the Palestinians remain generation after generation in this perpetual refugeeism where they continue to believe that they should not settle wherever they are because one day Israel will disappear and they will free Palestine from the river to the sea. And in that sense, uh, UNRWA has all but made October 7th inevitable, both in creating the ideological environment that breeds the people who committed the massacre. And it's important to say, we're talking about direct employees, but the planners, the perpetrators, are also by and large the graduates of the UNRWA education system. And that is much more important because the, that is the system that prepares them in order to go be butchers of Jews in the name of the noble ideal of liberating Palestine from the river to the sea. And the other thing that UNRWA does and has made October 7th not just inevitable, but deadly, is that it basically funnels Western money and legitimacy to free the terrorists to butcher Jews. We heard it in one of the Hamas leaders uh, answering a question of why they don't let their people use the tunnels. And they say, that's for us. 
uh, the citizens of Gaza are uh, the responsibility of UNRWA, which really opened the door to the way that Palestinians think about UNRWA. They think of it as the organization that relieves them from any responsibility to take care of themselves so that they can focus on what really matters in their eyes, which is to liberate Palestine from the river to the sea by means of butchering Jews. Let's just look into that education system a little bit because people outside of the Middle East with a passing interest might not really understand what you mean by that. Tell us exactly what the education system provided by UNRWA does and what is kind of on the curriculum. So for that, uh, a bit of background of why we even have an education system, because it's actually not a normal situation for supposedly a UN refugee agency. And the reason, of course, is that UNRWA is neither really a UN agency nor for refugees. It was basically started as a temporary mechanism to settle the Arab refugees from the war, uh, the war that the Arabs waged against the Jewish state and failed to achieve their goal. The idea of establishing a temporary uh, instrument to settle refugees was not very special. The idea that this is a limited job will be achieved in a few years, and then this instrument gets closed. But unlike in other cases, for example, Ankara was a refugee, was an agency established for Koreans. It, is, it settled 2 million Koreans in a few short years with a third of the budget of UNRWA, and then it closed down. And look at South Korea today. It could have been the Palestinians. But the Arab refugees, contrary to all the other refugees in the world, and we're talking at this moment in history, in the late 40s, early 50s, tens of millions, only the Arab refugees, today known as Palestinians, they refuse to settle because they know that if they settle, then uh, there's going to then the war is over and the Jewish state is acknowledged as existing. And that's not acceptable to them. So they prevent UNRWA from settling even one refugee, but they also prevent UNRWA's funders, mostly the U.S. and the U.K. at this point, from ever closing the agency. And they also secure a legal loophole for themselves where they can define refugees however they are, do whatever they want, and um, they're just a closed uh, loophole. What happens is that UNRWA becomes this instrument that on, one, on the one hand does not settle a, a single Arab refugee. That's the thing it was meant to do, but also can't close. So in the space between of not doing what it was supposed to do, but not being able to close, it needs to do something. So it begins to do a lot of busy work. It starts doing vocational training and stuff, and slowly it becomes this crawling education system where the entire instrument of UNRWA is now taken over by the Palestinians themselves. Again, this is rare. The Not rare. This is unheard of. In the UN High Commissioner for Refugees, you actually have UN employees dealing with refugees. Here, the instrument of UNRWA was hijacked by the Arab refugees themselves to become a Palestinian agency for Palestinians for the perpetuation of the conflict until Israel is no more. That's the education system. They built a sprawling education system in Lebanon, Syria, Gaza, Jordan, the West Bank that gave birth 
to a unique Palestinian nationalism, not just unique in the sense that it was separate from Jordanian or Syrian or Lebanese or Egyptian Arab nationalism, but it was uniquely focused on destruction. It was uniquely focused on the idea of revenge, of return, of no Jewish state. And the entire education system was mobilized for the cause of creating this destructive Palestinian nationalism, where every day children learn under the letters of the facade of the letters of the UN and under Western legitimacy and money, they learn that uh, from the river to the sea is exclusively theirs, that it was stolen from them by evil foreigners who have no connection to the land, that one day they will so-called liberate the land from those evil foreigners, um, that it's their noble duty to do so. And the entire curriculum, from how they learn math, all the math questions, the math exercises are somehow connected to this mythology of, pa of Paradise Lost and its liberation, the way they study, of course, history, geography, uh, the, the songs they sing in the morning when school begins, every element of the curriculum is geared towards creating this unique Palestinian nationalism focused singularly on return, on no Jewish state, and on from the river to the sea. So two questions then. One is, how encouraged are you that countries around the world appear to have seen the mask slip and are pausing their donations. But at the same time, how worried are you about a drive to, I guess, if they decide to get rid of UNRWA, replace it with something that may be no improvement and this brainwashing, this cycle continues? So first, I remain skeptical of this moment because you use the term the mask slipping, but there's a lot of forces that want the mask to be put back on so that everyone can just go back to behaving as if everything is okay. There are too many forces that just want to say, oh, unrefired, the way we're teachers, these are a few bad apples, we got rid of it, back to normal. And this has been the traditional mode of how UNRWA deflects criticism. So the question is, will the temporary pause of funds become permanent? Will there be a final understanding that these are not a few bad apples, but that the whole organization cannot exist because the organization has one goal and one goal only from the river to the sea. Create an entire people who believe in that and ensure that those people don't have to take care of themselves while they work to free free Palestine from sovereign Jewish presence. So I'm not yet sure this is, by the way, one of the reasons that I'm talking to anyone who will listen in order to highlight that it's not just a few bad apples and that the organization needs to be defunded completely. Now, that also leads us to the question of replacement, because once you understand what the organization really does, then it begs the question, why replace it? And even if nothing replaces it, that would be much better because then you would have a message that goes to Palestinians, which is a message that they should have heard 75 years ago. It's the same message that Hindus and Muslims and Ukrainians and Poles and Germans and Jews, everybody got that message. History moves on. 
It's tragic. It's tough. But you are where you are right now. You're not going to be a refugee forever. Just go settle where you are or find somewhere else and move on with your life. And you might have some sad memories, but you move on. And the Palestinians were never, ever told that they need to move on. They are the only people who were indulged and coddled in the idea that they can remain in this endless limbo in which they can continue to refuse to come to terms with the fact that the Jewish state emerged from the war of 1948 and continues to exist. Once you understand that and you begin to unravel all the lies of UNRWA, then you begin to understand a few things. First, most of the people that UNRWA says are refugees are actually not refugees. This goes back to the UNRWA loophole. The people that UNRWA registers as refugees are not refugees by any international standard. At best, 5% of the 5.9 million that UNRWA registers as refugees would qualify by international standards to be refugees. And if they were treated like the refugees in the 40s, none of them would be counted as refugees today. So the people in Gaza, the people in the West Bank, the people in Jordan, they're not refugees by any international standard. They're living in Palestine or they're citizens of Jordan. They're not refugees. Many people who are registered as refugees in Syria and Lebanon have already left. My favorite refugee is the multimillionaire American citizen, father of supermodel Gigi and Bella Hadid. It's not what you think of when you think of as a refugee. But because UNRWA has its own fiefdom where it decides what a refugee is, then UNRWA decided that it doesn't care if you have another citizenship. For all other refugees in the world, you got another citizenship? That's wonderful. You're no longer a refugee. For Palestinians? No, you're still registered on the books. So once you understand that they are not refugees, then you also understand that they don't need to be cared for. There doesn't need to be a replacement. They're perfectly capable of having their own education system, their own healthcare system, like everybody else in the world. And you're saying what? They're going to teach something worse? They're not going to teach something worse. They're going to teach the exact same thing. But at least this time, it's not going to have the legitimacy of the letters UN, and it's not going to have the legitimacy of Western support. And it's important to know this is the most valuable element of honor for the Palestinians. It's not the money. It's the legitimacy. When President Trump cut off funding, American funding to UNRWA, the Palestinian response was not, oh, no, how will we pay teachers? The Palestinian response was the American president is trying to take away our right of return. This idea that they can settle in Israel in breach of Israel's sovereignty and thereby turn the Jewish state into an Arab majority state. They think of it as legitimacy. UNRWA graduates talk about it uh, in their memory. They say every day we would go to the school. We would see the letters UN. We would know that it is funded by America and Europe. And we knew that the world was with us. So they go into these schools and they learn that their land was stolen from them and that they need to liberate it from the river to the sea. And they see the letters UN and they know that America and Europe give it money. And they think, I think correctly from their perspective, the world is with us. The world supports us. We only need to keep fighting another generation, another five generations, and the Jewish state will be no more. So once you really understand the deep structure of what UNRWA does and why it still exists, then it becomes so obvious that it shouldn't be replaced.
So how confident then are you? Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. That this funding pause will become permanent. Again, I'm trying not to be a passive person here, not just to sit back and make my bet. I'm actually trying to use this moment to ensure that the pause becomes permanent. I'm very much aware that there are massive forces trying to end the pause, to just go back to business as usual, which is why, again, I'm writing, I'm speaking, I'm using this moment to expose that this is not a few bad apples. The whole organization has to go, and it has to go especially for people who care about you. People who want to have perpetual war in the region, people who want to make sure that there's always going to be arms sales to the Middle East, by all means, continue funding UNRWA. If you actually want peace, as I do, uh, that's why I devote my time to this. I want to state, I want peace. And the more I looked into it is the more I realized that this is the main obstacle to peace, that Palestinians have been coddled and indulged by the West with the idea that the Jewish state is temporary. And if you tell people every day that the Jewish state is temporary, why on earth will they ever sign a peace agreement with it? They're just going to wait it out. So if people actually care about peace, those are the people that should defund UNRWA tomorrow and start sending the message to Palestinians that enough is enough. You're not refugees from a war that ended 75 years ago. And yes, the war ended. And yes, the Jewish state has emerged from the war and it is, uh, is going to stay. And new Palestinians can live next to the Jewish state, but not instead of it. And you do not possess a fictional right of return into the sovereign state of Israel. That's what needs to happen. Is it likely? Uh, I don't know. I'm at least trying to make it more likely and to use this moment when people are willing to listen to highlight what the real problem is. So I guess whilst much of the world is shocked by allegations that UNRWA members were potentially directly involved in the October 7th massacre. You, based on your knowledge of how the inverted commas education system works in Gaza and elsewhere in the region, you believe that there was an inevitability to this kind of attack based on that brainwashing? Of course. UNRWA has all but made October 7th inevitable and has also enabled it by funneling massive amounts of money to the people of Gaza who used it in order to build tunnels and to plan the attack and also used it to free themselves from responsibility. Over the years when you know, UNRWA always played this notion of, oh, if if we don't exist, then Hamas will be teaching the students or always this notion that they are somehow irreplaceable. And over the years, people said, well, if there's no UNRWA, you know, 
who will teach the children of Gaza? It will be Hamas. And I would say it's actually better. And people would look at it and be, okay, that's weird. And I'd say, think about it. If, if Hamas, and at least we finally end with the facade that this is UN, that this is Western, uh, so at least we're done with that and everybody understands that this is a Palestinian organization run by Palestinians. Because think about it. You hear, for example, several dozen UN employees were killed in Gaza. And you're thinking, oh, my God, some nice Norwegians and Swedes came to Gaza to help the refugees. No, those UN employees are Gazans, Palestinians, fourth, fifth generation who believe in from the river to the sea ideology. It's not what you imagine when you think UN workers. So at least if there's no UNRWA in Gaza, we're done with the facade that Palestinians perpetuating the conflict somehow is the UN. And another thing is, imagine that Hamas would have had to take care of teacher salaries. They would have actually had to funnel money to schools. They would have had less money to build maybe 200 kilometers out of the 700 kilometers of tunnels. Maybe they would have had less time to plan the massacre. So UNRWA ideologically made the massacre inevitable and enabled the careful planning of it. And so as Israel continues its operation militarily to wipe out Hamas, what do you see as the level of support in Gaza for Hamas in that they've had this indoctrination? Basically 100%. Uh, I mean, you might have people who are not, uh, they don't appreciate the uh, the religiosity of Hamas or things like that, or the corruption. Or, But when it comes to slaughtering Jews, you actually do not have dissenting voices in Gaza. A lot of people uh, bring polls from October 6th saying, oh, Hamas was not very popular in Gaza. And the answer is, of course, people were not pleased with corruption, with management, with religiosity. But when it came to slaughtering Jews, people were very pleased, which is why on October 7th, the Gaza Strip and much of the Arab and Palestinian world and many in the West, unfortunately, just erupt in jubilation and exhilaration. It's the other way around. Hamas knew in planning this attack for a couple of years that it would be hugely popular, not just in Gaza, but across the Palestinians, across the Arab world. That's why they planned it, because they knew that in doing so, they were fulfilling the deepest vision of the Palestinian ethos of no Jewish state, of return. You know, October 7th is return. When people hear Palestinian return, the right of return, they imagine that something uh, kind of very innocent, this like sad longing for a lost home. If you read the Arab and Palestinian writings for the last 75 years, the concept of return was always violent and triumphant. There was an, an October 7th was the Palestinian version of what return looks like. And so if Israel and the IDF is successful in destroying Hamas. There has been, of course, a lot of debate about what next, what comes after Hamas, and part of that is a de-radicalization effort. How does that work in reality? How do you de-radicalize a people? 
So I've been looking a lot recently into the story of Japan, of Nazi Germany. First of all, uh, you actually need to have a clear victory and surrender. If people emerge from a war uh, like Nazi Germany did after World War I, uh, with the sense that they won or they should have won, and the sense of defeat and surrender is not complete, it's already quite difficult. So that is uh, kind of a necessary condition. And then beyond that, you actually have to occupy the country. In Japan, it was seven years. In uh, Germany, it was actually 45 years. Um, in order to ensure that its entire structure, its entire education system, everything looks different. So there is a question as to whether and how, first of all, can we achieve the first necessary condition of the clear and undisputed uh, victory, one of surrender, that's a question. And then, who will be responsible? Who can do that? Um, the other option is to basically say, you know what? We're out of here. We're going to put the walls up higher. We're going to uh, have our battalions uh, all around our borders in a more effective way than we had before October 7th. And we're going to campaign globally that nobody gives a single dollar or a bag of cement to the Palestinians until the Palestinians announce that they have ended their century-long war with Zionism. Because that's actually the war that is taking place. It's not the war in Gaza. The war in Gaza is just one arena of the century-long war against Jewish sovereignty. That's the war that has to end for there to be peace. Uh, and, there are, and, every, and there's everything in between. You can uh, divide Gaza into a zone of people who don't want to be de-radicalized and just let them be, and then have a zone where it's managed by Israel or a coalition of forces that say anyone who comes here will get assistance, but it will be only in exchange for ensuring that there's a different education system, different ideology, People are no longer registered as refugees. People understand that they are not refugees when they live in Gaza, that they do not possess a right of return. There's a lot of permutations, but the fundamental idea remains. As long as the people in Gaza continue to be indulged and coddled and sustained in their view that Israel is a temporary entity, that they are refugees from a war of 70 years, five years ago, that they have some fictional right of return that doesn't exist in international law into the sovereign state of Israel, it's going to be war forever. So I'd like to end these interviews with asking people, what, if anything, gives you hope for a better future? So uh, two things give me hope for a better future. First, that more and, more and more people are awakening, unfortunately, after October 7th, to realize that October 7th was not an aberration in the Palestinian ethos, but its deepest fulfillment, and that peace can only happen when the entire ethos, the entire ideology that sustains the Palestinians has to change and transform. So that gives me hope. And the second is the changes in the Arab world. At the end of the day, the Jews are destined, damned, choose your word, uh, to remain an ethnic, religious, national, linguistic minority in an Arab and Muslim Middle East. I mean, the 7th century conquest of the Middle East by Arabs and Muslims 
was hugely successful. So we're going to remain a minority in the region as long as we care about living in the land of Israel. And we're going to be a minority. And we are, if we are ever to have peace, we need the Arab and Muslim world to look at us, not as foreigners who have come to a foreign land, but as people who have a history and a culture that goes back millennia. And you're beginning to see that ideological change in the Gulf, where countries are doing much more than modernize their countries. Gulf leaders are actually modernizing Islam. They're transforming the Arab identity to one that is much more in tune with modern sensibilities, with the idea of tolerance, of success, of being forward-looking. And that makes them more amenable to normalizing relations with Israel, to accepting Israel in their midst. I think they, more than anyone, have woken up on October 7th to realize that the Palestinian project is about to undermine their project of modernizing Islam and modernizing the Arab identity. So I think they have a tremendous interest in ensuring that that changes. So those are the places of hope that I see. Generally, once people begin to understand what's really going on, there is greater hope that they'll actually do something about it. Dr. Enat Wilf there on the links between UNRWA and terrorism. Well, that brings an end to this episode of Israel's War on Terror. You can search for more installments wherever you typically get your podcasts. Please let us know in the comments if you've any issues you'd like us to tackle, and we'll do our best to take them on in the coming weeks. Thanks for listening.